Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Explored. I'm Darius Nomderon, your host. And today, this conversation might be a little bit controversial. I don't know, because it's to do with reading and America and dyslexia and worldwide reading as well. We don't often talk about learning to read with dyslexia in Dyslexia Explored, which might seem a bit strange for some parents because in many ways, the heart of Dyslexia Explored has really been to talk about what happens after you learn to read if you've got dyslexia, because dyslexia doesn't just affect how you learn to read. It's not a reading difficulty, it's a processing difference, and it shows up often first as a reading difficulty, and then it shows up in other areas like time management, planning, executive function, writing essays, and things like that. It affects the way you think. So. I'd like to introduce Nora Shabazi. Nora, it's great to have you here with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm really intrigued to, to have you on the podcast because one of my clients, Vicky, shout out to Vicky, said, you have to meet Nora. She's a reading instructor and she said, you've got to speak to Nora about what Nora does. You're all about teaching people how to read, aren't you? I am. Tell us a little bit about what, what you do at the moment, and then we'll go into the story of how it all began and where it comes to now, and then maybe talk about, you know, the different ways to teach children to read at this moment in time and what you're doing and all of that. So in a summary, what do you do, Nora? Well, I have a really intense passion for helping promote high-level literacy for all. So that means reading and writing and spelling. So mostly what I do and my main focus is to train teachers and others, private tutors, remediation or intervention teachers, also classroom teachers, in the research-aligned practices that in providing a bridge from that research to actually instruction with students in a classroom or small group or one-on-one. -on -one. So the majority of my time and energy is put into making teachers' lives easier in a manner that helps them more effectively and efficiently teach children that increases the outcomes that very much speeds up the acquisition of literacy and accurate automatic reading, writing, and spelling. So that's what I do. All right. So your main focus is not teaching tutors how to teach individual children, but to teach teachers in classroom settings to teach children how to read. Is that right? Yes, we do train a whole lot of people that are tutors or that are remediation teachers. But I have a saying that our focus is really to put the fence at the top of the cliff to prevent all of the falling off of, you know, reading difficulties, as opposed to the ambulance at the bottom. So if we are training K-3 classroom teachers in a manner that is really effective and efficient, and it takes away the planning time, it takes away the instructional time, it, it decreases that, but increases the, the outcome and the, the student gains and that type of thing. So yes, if we can get those K-3 teachers, there will be much less of a need for private tutors, as well as for intervention in school, which some schools have as many as 25 or 30% of their kids, and even more than that, that are in intervention, 25% sometimes in special ed alone. All right. So where did this all begin for you? You know, what was the what was life like before you started doing all this or before you encountered dyslexia or reading difficulties? What was life like before and what was the wake up call? So tell me a bit, bit about what life was like before all this. All right. I am the mother of three now grown daughters. But back in the mid 90s, I was a neonatal intensive care nurse. And I had worked at University of South Carolina in Charleston, South Carolina, at that hospital and had a lot of really interesting 
opportunities with that job. And I loved it very much. And I did that for about a decade. I was married to a Navy doctor and we lived in a variety of interesting places like Guantanamo Bay, Cuba and Charleston and, and Guam was our last place. So when we were in Guam, I was not working as a nurse because they didn't have a NICU. And, and so we got to travel and do life and all of that type of thing. Our, our girls were preschool to early elementary school at that point in time. And they had gone to school at a little private school that taught a Becca, which is a very traditional systematic phonics program. And my oldest daughter learned to read beautifully and very well and very quickly and was reading chapter books in first grade. And my second daughter picked up on it when there was one letter, one sound, but found later when we moved back to the States that she really was struggling significantly with reading. Yeah. So I had a great life of and I still do uh, all kinds of things that were not focused on literacy. Besides, I love to read and, and I read a lot and read to my kids all the time, of course. So what was the wake up call for you then? What woke you up? Well, when we got back a year after we came back in the 97, 96, 97 to Michigan, uh, my middle daughter was in second grade. There was an Iowa test that they do in the, in the U.S. And she had taken that and they informed me that they're going to put her in the gifted and talented program because she was in the 98th percentile in math on that test. But they also on this test that I saw, which they didn't talk to me about was she was a year below grade level in reading. And I knew that she was always got hundred percent on spelling tests, but she couldn't spell in her writing. She could read the books beautifully that they read at school. Cause they, she, there was more of a whole language kind of focus when we came back to the States and they, she memorized, she had a good memory actually. And she could memorize the stories cause they read them over and over. But I realized when I went into school one day and it was a parent night and there was a, all these stories on the wall her story had a beautiful illustration. She's a good artist and it was horrifically misspelled. I mean, of the 40 words, I still use it in my teacher trainings and stuff of the 40 words, 19 were horrifically misspelled. And I was looking at it and I'm thinking this child gets hundred percent on every spelling test. And I had tears running down my face and I knew the teacher cause I'd been volunteering in the class and she came out and she said, what's the matter? And I'm like, did Colleen get a brain injury? I mean, what is this? And we were very particular when we moved back to the States of where we're going to live and build a house in the school district that was, you know, so this was a very white collar, well-respected school in the school district where we moved. And we purposely did that. But interesting, all the other kids too, pretty much their writing looked the same. And it was on construction paper, beautiful and all that. And so she said, Oh no, it's fine. I can read it fine. And you, you know, you don't want to worry about spelling or that type of thing. So then I would have her read things that were not memorized and she could not, or I would, I kind of started to experiment. I would take sentences out of stuff that she could read, but she was really memorizing and she couldn't read that either. And I, so I started researching reading a little obsessively, I must add. I wasn't going back. I still had a preschooler. Kelly was in preschool. So I hadn't gone back to nursing yet. We've been back here for about a, a year. So, I mean, I read and everything was talking about phonics or whole language and the whole language thing. I'm like, nobody can memorize all the words in the English language. That just made no sense to me. But the phonics thing, she'd already been taught phonics. And once it got to pass the one letter spelling, she wasn't getting it. I mean, she's just like, what's going on? Can I pause you for a moment? I'm not in the whole teaching children how to read realm of dyslexia. I'm much more in the area of the middle school and the high school, teaching them to organize their thoughts and remember things for class and remembering everything important. You know, it's more the memory side of things. So for the listeners who may not know 
what these different terms are. When you say phonics and whole language, what do you mean? Could you define them? Yep, I sure could. Um, whole language, which often now is called balanced literacy, you know, since the early 2000s here, comes from the premise of you want to immerse children in literature, so real books, um, and get them reading real books right away without any instruction ahead of time, as far as decoding the words, that type of thing. You're supposed to, like, they start with simple books, like I see it, a book, actually, that they tried for my, my younger daughter. This was an example of one. I see an astronaut. I see an ambulance. I see a, so it's the same words, and then there's a picture that that you use instead of reading the word because they can't decode it. So the goal is, is they want to have this joy of reading, which is a great thing for sure, but it's mostly by using context clues, memorizing the words, doing things that good readers do, but you can't do that until you have learned how the, how the code works per se. Okay. So you've got some hints and tips and clues to yeah. Get the word. Okay. Got you. Some kind of stuff like just, and it can look good actually with a daughter, with a child like mine, because she could memorize okay. these things, but it, second grade that starts falling apart when your memory gets overloaded. It typically it's definitely third grade in our reading center. We see that all the time. Third grade is where, whether they're 28 or 59 or in high school, they're stuck at a third grade level often with that when we have struggling readers and dyslexic kids are like, what talk about chaos. They're like, I don't know what's going on here. That's more the whole language piece. And then the phonics is, uh, traditional phonics is teaching kids to sound out the words and the sounds and the spellings that go with them. But then there's a use, they do a lot of rules, like a lot of people know two vowels go walking and the first one does the talking, which means when there's two vowels next to each other, like E-A, you say the sound E. But the issue with that is there's significant number of exceptions to every rule in English. So kids have a- Like great- yeah. Or head. Yes. yes. Or there's a whole lot of heart. There's a lot of exceptions to that. So so then the kids are like, wait a minute, I don't know how to deal with that. And it brings in a lot of stuff into their brain that's a cognitive overload. So there's all this information that isn't consistent and causes issues for my daughter and for many, many, many kids. There's syllable types and th- a lot of extraneous information that we have to pack into our brain that isn't consistent. Okay. So that's traditional phonics. And it's done in a, in a variety of different ways, but mostly starting from the letters and then putting some things like rules and that types of thing around the letters or teaching individual sounds and letters for a long time and then putting them together. So that's, that's traditional. I see. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you very much. So back to your story of your daughter. So you went and did some research on all of this and what happened then? I, um, I really was so obsessive about it. And I, I didn't, you know, I look at all of the people now that I know that we teach their kids and they go about it more of like going to a specialist and getting testing. And it never even occurred to me to do that. I don't know why, but it didn't. Uh, so what I did is I read research. I bought programs, <laughs> a bunch of different things. I went to schools and I thought this was really interesting and they had no problem with it. And I would go in and watch their, their intervention sessions. A lot of it at that time was reading recovery. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is wild. You know, it was a lot of look at the picture and see, you know, that's where I learned, you know, really what that was looking like. And I'm like, I don't want that. And then the phonics stuff, I'm like, she had this. I mean, Abeka is supposed to be one of the best traditional phonics programs. So that's not working. So I went to a lot of places. It was about six months. And then my mom called me one day because I mean, I put it in my Christmas letter and all this stuff. And she called one day and she said, my neighbor has 12 year old twins. And they went to this place in East Lansing in Michigan. It's called the reading center. And, and they're both in special ed and they can't read well. And after 12 hours of instruction, 
they no longer were in special ed and now they're good readers. And I thought, mm, that sounds like Swampland in Florida to me, but she had the name of the place and the number and I called it and the owner, her name is Annette Weinshank and she answered and she had been a professor at Michigan State for over 30 years, um, teaching teachers how to teach reading. And I said, okay, you're teaching people in 12 hours. Again, sounds a little crazy. What are you teaching? Are you teaching phonics or are you teaching whole language? And she said, no and no. Both of those things have good things to them, which is true. But they also... Can I pause you for a moment? You mentioned one other thing that my brain stuck on is reading recovery. So we've got whole language, we've got the phonics, and then you mentioned reading recovery and you just missed it over. <laughs> Did you think maybe she was doing reading recovery or a souped up version of it or something like that? What is reading recovery? Um, she was reading recovery is a whole language oh, I've got program, you. right? basically. It, it does one on, it, then it did, now it's moved to classrooms, but it, it just had some research that was not at all, like a five-year, $50 million research thing that did not have good results at all. But back then in the early 2000s, it was mostly taught one-on-one. And it costs like seven to $10,000 per child, pretty much. And, and one teacher would teach like four kids a year. And so it's okay. very intensive. So, but it's a whole language, more focused thing. Sorry to interrupt you, Flo, but it's just great to get the actual context of all of these things so we can keep up with you. So you met this professor who was doing it in 12 hours yes. and she wasn't doing the whole language or the phonics. She was doing something different. Right, right. So I said, uh, she said, well, it's not whole language, it's not phonics. I'm like, okay, what is it? And she said, well, there is a book that was just written. She said, the research shows what you need to do to teach anybody how to read. And it's been around for a while, but we don't teach it to teachers in, in schools of education and we don't teach it in our schools. And I'm like, that sounds crazy, right? Doesn't that sound crazy? I thought it sounded crazy. So she said, but it's, it's there. And there's a book that just came out, but you have to get it at the publisher. Still my favorite book on reading, by the way. And it's called Why Our Children Can't Read and What You Can Do About It. The author is Diane McGinnis. She recently passed away a couple months ago, unfortunately. She's from England, matter of fact. So this book, I ordered it from the publishing company and it came in the mail at about three o'clock in the afternoon. I read the entire thing. I had read probably, I mean, dozens of books by that point. <clears throat> and it's just like, this is not making sense. This book, first of all, there was a hypothetical story in the beginning that was my child's story completely in our family story. So I read this book and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it talked about this parent book. I actually can see it over there on my shelf. It's called Reading Reflex that tells about it for parents, but helps parents teach their child. So I ordered that and I taught her to read in three hours. I mean, this is a child who never had anything but something she'd memorized. She loved being read to. Very smart, very creative, very articulate but she would never read anything that was unfamiliar. So three hours of instruction. Now I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I was just trying something out. She came home and she had this book. And I, if I saw the picture, I would know still, it's a little chapter book called uh, Bailey's school kids chapter book. And I had the kids on the front. It's, you know, it's all words on one page and the other page is like a picture, but it's paragraphs and a lot of words. And she's like, mom, can I read this? And I was like, I mean, okay. If she'd have said to me, mom, can I go up on the top of the roof and dive off? I would not have been more shocked. Like I'm thinking, can you read that? I mean, can you read that? So she went and sat in the little den and I can still picture this in my head all these years later. And she sat there for over three hours and she read this into, I called my mom. I called her dad. I called my sisters. Now, like, is she really reading? I'm like, I mean, it looks like it. It's about the right amount of time before she turns the page. I mean, I wasn't talking to her or anything, but I was just like, kept peeking. 
And she finished, told me all about this story. And she was just so excited. And she has been a voracious reader ever since. She's now in her and three's getting ready to deliver twins in a couple of weeks. But her spelling took two years because she always misspelled and they let her misspell. Nobody had really ever corrected it. So I would correct her spelling. And that took two years before she spelled was and those kinds of things. Right. So I taught her and so, then uh, hold on a minute. Hold weird. on a minute. Three hours. <laughs> Slow down. Three I hours. Know. Three. Let's just pause. So you're saying in three hours. A child who over three years of school was just memorizing the words and not really reading the words ended up after those three hours going away and reading a chapter book. A lot of them. Yes. Wow. I know. I didn't even realize how crazy that was. Now, the interesting thing is what we find with kids who, now my daughter was never diagnosed with dyslexia. She had all of the characteristics that you would, I mean, every one of them, when I look back and I, you know, and I hadn't looked at that before, but she, the kids who have, who are dyslexic, they learned so fast. I mean, sometimes they've had up to 12 years and even whole years, I mean, specialized schools where they're getting instruction. And when you do this, what we call it, speech to print or say, spell, read the way that, that we teach, I'll talk about later. But when you do that, that works in a way that deals with their logical, you know, brain in a way that has patterns and stuff like, oh, I get this. I mean, I didn't know that that was shocking. And people get really angry when I say that sometimes. And so a lot of times I don't say it anymore. Um, but it's true. And so I didn't know any different. So then I would tell people, you know, friends and stuff. And oh, my child can't read. If you start talking to people about reading struggles, they all have somebody in their family that can't read. So I would bring kids into my house and just volunteer and I'd teach them. I got a child out of special ed. I didn't know what I was doing, Darius. I was just doing what this book said. But I had, I have this strange knack and I still have this knack where I can read lots and lots and lots of stuff about how to teach reading. And somehow I have some spidey sense of like, that makes no sense. No way. You know what that, I'm going to try that and see if in practice, this, you know, what they're t- telling me in theory works. And, and so I could refine really well with that. And then I, I taught one uh, friend's child. She was a reading specialist in a county and I taught him and he became a good reader. And she's like, you know what? I have some money from, we have some money from the state or whatever to do out of state conferences. Let's go to Florida. This was a program uh, on a program called phonographics. Let's go to Florida and get this training. So she paid for our hotel and all the stuff. And we went to Florida and got trained. She never taught it, but I came back and taught, you have to teach three kids through and you can become a trainer. So I came back and I became a trainer. And about the time that I was doing this work to become a trainer and teaching these three kids through the 12 hours of instruction, my then husband, who's a doctor, wanted to open a wellness center. And so he rented a building, going to open this wellness center. And he said, instead of having these kids come traipsing through our house, why don't you have a room in my wellness center and you can work with them there? And I said, okay. And probably four to six weeks before he was planning to do this, his whole thing fell through. And so I had a reading center that I didn't expect to have. And I, I did a training in April and I opened my reading center in June. This training had 30 educators in it. Now, the strangest thing of all is like, where did they come from? I couldn't tell you. They're from Michigan. They're from all over the state of Michigan, mostly. So I taught them this phonographics. I brought in somebody from that was a teacher in New Hampshire that had been teaching phonographics or not New Hampshire, um, New Jersey. And she helped do the training for me, a five-day training. And then I opened my reading center. And one of the people in that training, Marty, who's a psychologist, he would drive an hour both ways to each way, I should say, to come and work at my center. And we had from eight in the morning till five at night, 
constant people. How they found out about us, I don't know, because I never advertised or anything. It was strange. So did that and did my reading center and I'd still train people. And then four years in, I realized that phonographics had limitations that I had grown beyond. I continued to read research. I continued to experiment kind of like our lab here at our reading center. And I grew beyond what phonographics had. It's a phenomenal foundation and I will forever be thankful to them for that. And then I was thinking about going back to nursing. I got rid of my, I was no longer you know, contracted with them. I said, I'm no longer going to be a phonographics trainer because I, I can't say what you're saying up here and not add in my own stuff, quite frankly. So I pondered going back to nursing school and then a, a whole county down in Southern Michigan had a, a foundation who had done some work and paid for teachers to get trained in their county. And they called and said, we are going to pay for any teacher in our whole county to be trained by you. And coming at, well, I didn't have anything to train in at that point. So that's how Ebley was born, you know, so it was rudimentary and it's become very much more refined over time. So I trained about 250 teachers from this county about four months later. And then that's how, how long ago was that? That was in 2000 in two, 2003, 2003, 20 years ago. Yeah. And so I created, because really phonographics was for one-on-one and it also had this limited focus on just decoding and I wanted vocabulary and comprehension and fluency and handwriting and spelling and all of these things. And I, it was also focused on one-on-one. It wasn't focused on the classroom teacher. It was pretty cumbersome. You had this box with 36 drawers and you had to do a lot of cutting and a lot of stuff. So I wanted to streamline it for teachers. So that's how Ebley came about. And that's how we, we continue so that it can make teachers' lives easier. Okay, so can you, so you said this, this technique they used, was it very similar to what you learned in that book? With phonographics? Phonographics. They're the ones who wrote the book. Oh, I I get the connection. Sorry. The developers of phonographic, Carmen and Jeff McGinnis, they wrote the Reading Reflex book. I see. And Diane McGinnis, who wrote Why Your Children Can't Read, is actually Jeff McGinnis's mother. And she's a, she was a professor of psychology and Carmen and Jeff actually met in her class they took her class and she talked about how they don't teach reading college. So they did some research in college that led to them creating phonographics. I see. Now, the heart of phonographics compared to whole word and the phonics, could you just give us a little bit of a picture of how -hmm. that's different? And then you could build up to the, what you're doing now. Yes. So the, methodology and the approach that phonographics and a lot of things that have sprung out of it, quite honestly, including Ebley, is that instead of having the letters on the page, which are artificial and man-made symbols that were created, be the impetus of the instruction, what we're going to do is we're going to have what you your words coming out of your mouth. We're going to start with what you say. So a child, if they're saying, I don't know, fast, okay, we're going to have the word fast and we're going to go from what we say and we're going to take that out of our mouth and we're going to separate it into each sound. So we're going to go speech first. Then we're going to spell. We're going to actually teach reading by spelling. So we're going to spell and, and attach each of those spellings to a sound. You don't have to teach for a week and for a week and for a week and a for a week or any amount of time at all. You can start right now from what you already bring to school, which is your speech. And then you separate the sounds, you add the spellings to it, and then you lift it back off, up the page, up off the page to read it. Okay, now we do that with words that have sh, like T-I is sh, an initial, 
and, you know, vacation and lotion and all of those kinds of things, patient. So it's from the very most simple all the way to the most complex as far as the code in English. And it puts it in a way that's organized and systematic. And we deal with patterns, not rules. It goes along with how the brain learns best and what we do naturally is speak. Okay. So is it called phonograph because it's phono for sound and then graph is the symbol down. So you start with the sound to the graph. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. You know, again, they were interested in one-on-one and they, they sold their business long ago and, and it's still around some, but it, it never really took traction, but many people, including me, took that great foundational stuff in that speech first instruction that they started and elaborated on it and expanded on it to deliver it. There's not many of us, unfortunately, and the vast majority, there's one in England, sounds right, John Walker, amazing man, and Ebley are the only two that I know that are actually intended for classroom instruction. Almost all of them have been uh, that have sprouted from phonographics are intended for remediation and one-on-one instruction. Okay, I see. So you're kind of, you know, when you say you're going upstream, there's this story of two people by the side of the river and they see a child struggling in the river and they're drowning and they run in and they uh, rescue that child. And then they see another child drifting down, they rescue that child and they just, until they they start realizing, they, they start getting exhausted and then one guy just walks off and the guy speaks to the other guy and said why, why are you walking off there's kids who who need help here and the guy's walking off goes i'm gonna go and find the guys throwing these kids in the war <laughs> exactly <laughs> and so exactly. you're talking about going upstream to the teachers who aren't deliberately throwing the kids in the water of course gosh no but the, but the kids are 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 not necessarily being taught to swim in this river and all these tutors are downstream rescuing them. Yeah. And you're trying to go up uh, upstream, helping the teachers uh, give them the. You cannot yeah. intervene your way out of this. You cannot. There's not enough people to grab all of them that, from the yes. downstream. There's just not yes. enough. We need to go up here. We need to give these kids what they needed. You know, and teachers are suffering right after kids, just as much, because teachers have paid a lot of money. And then they go back for masters, maybe a doctor to get taught in college stuff that actually oftentimes is harmful to children. Well, I used to be a primary school teacher myself in the Rudolf Steiner school, which isn't mainstream. Mm. It's more. Yeah, I'm familiar. Teaching you through the creatives. And I'm thinking back to the way I was taught to teach children to read and I would say it was very much down the phonics-based route where you teach the letters and the sounds of the letters, et cetera. And to be honest, when I was taught as a teacher, my instructor said to me, look, Darius, children often have this just innate ability to learn and to teach themselves how to read. And you have to, in the most part, uh, assist with that and create an environment for that and trust that. And I think actually a lot of teachers do rely on that automatic abilities to pick up these kind of things. Whereas there's a whole sector of children who don't have automatic abilities to do this. They're like a manual car compared to an automatic car. They need to go be taught how to go up through the gears well. And it sounds to me like you're very intentionally teaching them to go up the gears. No one is wired for reading. This is a man-made creation. We're all wired for speaking. Okay. Right. For yeah. walking, for talking, we all are, all are. No one 
is wired for reading because it's a code that someone actually from England created. Samuel Johnson was his name. He created this code that we're all going to agree to use these symbols to represent these sounds. The problem is with English, he borrowed from all these different countries to create this code. So there's a whole bunch of ways to spell every sound. So it made it more complex. If you want a simple reading system, go to Italy or Spain or whatever. Theirs is much more simple than ours. Ours is complex, but nobody is wired for it. Now, some will pick it up very quickly, like my oldest daughter, boom, show me how this works. And then I got it. That's, I think about 40% of kids fall into that category, 30 to 40, but 60-ish do not. That's a lot more than the dyslexic kids. There's So everybody, even my daughter who got a 31 on her ACT when she went to college, she's like, mom, show me some Ebley stuff. Child's brilliant. She can read like great. She's not a child anymore. She's 34 years old, but she can read like crazy. So I did some Ebley stuff with her. She's like, oh, I used all these tricks to spell antique, you know, antiqua or whatever. So now she's even a faster reader. I'm a faster reader. I read about 450 words a minute, which I used to read probably 300. But doing this is good for everyone because it's a code. Some people can pick up a code like Herrera, you know, the code for code talkers is a good one for World War II when you have the, you know, you're sending a code over so that they don't intercept and, and can't undo it. Well, the Cherokee code, they couldn't figure out, I think it was Cherokee, because they hired code talkers, the United States did to, to do their coding. But most people can figure out a code if you work hard enough, you know, in the military anyway. But as far as five-year-olds, this is a very, very complex code that most adults don't even know about. And yeah. we like, good luck with that. Figure it out on your own. Yeah. Samuel Johnson took seven years, seven years. And he had hundreds of people helping him to be able to figure out, out this code and to, to create it in a way that's systematized. And we say, hey, five-year-old, come on in and you figure it out on your own. Good luck with that. Yeah. This is why, I mean, our scores just came out in, in the US, our national scores, 32% proficient, 33% proficient in fourth grade, 32 in eighth grade. Now we're okay with that. I hope we're not okay with that. What do you mean by proficient? Do you mean good enough or yeah, good enough. at the level they should be at? At the level they should age? be for that grade level, yes. Okay. 33% are at the level they should be at at that yes. age. Yes. Does it somehow get to a point where all of a sudden 70% are proficient for their age or does it stay? Cons- it goes down. 33% are proficient in fourth grade nationally here as of two weeks ago. 32% of eighth graders, it goes down and then they drop out of school. Those kids mostly drop out of high school too. How can we have this in this greatest country in the world? Seriously, this is, this is shameful. This is criminal, criminal and it's preventable. That's the really disgusting yeah. thing about it. And we're just, mm, well, if those parents read to them a little more, that'd be better. Or if, you know, so many excuses, so many excuses. Okay. So that was your challenge, the wake up call, your challenge, and you really helped this. And now we're talking about the reward. And really the reward has been to the, the, the teachers around about you that you've educated. And, you know, you've gone from the phonograph to EBLE. Uh, could we just make it clear to listeners what EBLE stands for? Yes. EBLE stands for Evidence-Based Literacy Instruction. Everything we do in every step of every activity that we do and everything we do, whether it's reading, writing, and spelling, the component, five components of reading, writing, and spelling yeah, is purposeful. So it's very streamlined. It's very integrated. It's very comprehensive. And it's very purposeful for classroom teachers to decrease the amount of time and energy they have to put in. Classroom teachers are working their tails off. They are staying after school. They're coming in before school. They're there on the weekend. They're buying all kinds of stuff on their own. And their kids' scores are getting worse 
because they haven't been given what they need to teach these kids what they need to be able to read, write, and spell. And it's there. It's there. But there's a lot of things, Darius, unfortunately, that interfere with that. And it has nothing to do with teachers or children, unfortunately. But it has to do, you know, I call them the, the four motivators, power and politics and ego and money. That's what drives education. That's what drives literacy instruction. That's what drives a lot of things. And the teachers and the students are the ones who are the victims of that mindset. So what happened over the last 20 years with Ebley? You know, what you've, what, what's happened over the last 20 years? Yeah. So, well, we've evolved a lot and, and we've had a lot of people. We, I don't have any background in education or in business at all. So I started a business not wanting to, or really having no desire for a business and the teaching reading piece. So what has happened is we've constantly, we've trained thousands of teachers, K through 12, and even adult uh, educators, how to teach reading with, with Ebley. And we used to do it in person. And then we would go in person into the classroom. So I've been in thousands. Our team has been in thousands of classrooms all over the country to help them. We would model for the teachers and, and help them because Ebley is so different than anything they've ever done. So help them to use this type of instruction. And, you know, because new things and different things, especially when you've learned other things, can be anxiety provoking, whether it's for the kids or the teachers. So we have done that and we have refined and refined. We did have a period where we tried to have trained the trainers where other Ebley teachers do it were great having them train teachers. And what I found with that, which I also found with business partners that I've had along the way, is that the quality and the fidelity of the instruction fell off. It's kind of like the telephone game and that's going to happen. So trying to figure out what do we do to keep the quality, but be able to scale right now, again, I don't have any background in all that either. So we decided that we are going to do online. We're going to put all of our stuff online. This was 2016, I think, or so 17. So our team here, which is a very small, but mighty miracle making team. They said, here's the deal, Nora, you're running around training teachers, you're running around coaching teachers, you're running around doing all this stuff. You're not here. We need you and what's in your head and what's in your experience to get that out, to get it in the computer. We can't do it if you're not here. Now, 92% of our income is from training teachers, 8%. Well, not even that, but from our reading set, that actually loses money when our kids that we teach here, but I have to decide. And I did, I decided on April 1st, for six months, we're not doing any training. We're not doing any, instru- I'm going to stay here and we're going to do this. Now, mind you, I hope I'm horrible at technology. I have no idea how you get anything into a computer. This whole entire journey has gone, has been on faith completely. Like, okay, whoever's up there running this, you better give me some help here because I have no idea. So I'm getting ready with a, a team of eight people that I'm responsible to pay to take a 92% cut in our income so that we can do the right thing. All right. So March 31st, this is a really good story. It sounds unbelievable, but it's true. March 31st, I'm coaching down in Detroit, Michigan. And I've got two teachers who were at that point trainers also. And they're with me and we're doing some coaching in some schools. So that night we come down and we're going to meet in the lobby. We're in the bar area waiting for the other people to come down. And so I come down and one of these two reading specialists said, Nora, come over here. There's this man forget his name, but he was the president of Marygrove College. Now, Marygrove College is in Detroit, and it's the largest college for teachers getting their master's degree online. 37 states have teachers coming to the best. So they, they say, come and meet this man. And so I meet him, and he's like, do you know what? We aren't teaching reading. 
we aren't teaching our teachers how to teach reading. And I'm wondering, can I take you all to dinner? So I took us to this beautiful place in Detroit for dinner. Somebody spilled something all over the waitress did. I remember that too, which is kind of funny. And he's just like, can tomorrow I'm going to San Francisco. Now he's out in San Francisco at a college there, but he said, I'm going to San Francisco. Can you come in the, can you come tomorrow before three o'clock? And I, weirdly, this never happens, but I only had a half a day of coaching that day. So I went to his office and he said, these are the things that need to happen. Can you meet with our team? Like when I get back next week, I'm like, yeah. And, and I said, I want to do this online. I'd been telling him all this. He said, we're the best online. We can help you with this. So literally the next week I'm in a room. He said, you have to, our people, person that's in charge of the masters, you need to win her over. Cause she's, we loved each other. She was amazing. And so they started within a week building and they did all of the building. We gave them all the, all the content. It was very, again, at first, everything is always a little rough and then it's evolved since then we've had, I think we're on our fifth iteration of it. So they had our stuff put online as far as the teacher training and the student instruction, they housed it. They gave credit for it, all that kind of good stuff. And we ran it, came through us. It was very different than anything they'd ever done before. So talk about divine intervention. I mean, I'm not kidding you. These things you can't make up. So we do that. This school has been around for over a hundred years. It's beautiful. It looks like Notre Dame. It's a beautiful campus. And back in 2018, I think it was ish, 19, maybe they closed. They didn't have enough students. They shut down. I don't know what they're doing with that beautiful, beautiful campus, but anyway, they're gone. So we're like, oh my gosh, now we have to be responsible for pulling this stuff all out and putting it in a online, which we did. And then I'm still doing in-person training because we know we're doing this and we're charging almost nothing for people to pilot it, for us to refine it. And then in 2020, in February, you know, again, our team is like, you got to stop doing the in-person. We can't do both. They're different. You know, how, how we process all this, we got to have one. We need to do the online. You need to bite the bullet and do online. So I decided in February of 2020 would be my last in-person training. And we would go online and all of our focus would be that. Well, what happened in March? COVID. Yes. So it wasn't that, again, some divine, except for nobody wanted, nobody wanted training. That's a whole nother story at that point. But anyway, so now we are all online. We're continuously refining to make the teacher's life easier, to be sure they get it to the kids. Because what would happen, especially when we're training in person, is we would train these people and teachers wouldn't use it. It's just too overwhelming. It was too different. So we, what do we need? To, and whenever somebody's not learning, whether it's a student or a teacher, okay, the question is, what do we need to do differently? So we yes. are, you know, our, this is not a static system. There are no products. bad students. There yes. are just bad, bad teachers, teachers. Yes. According so, to Karate Kid. And it's true. It is true. So <laughs> you're not learning. I need to do something different. And hopefully, yeah. you know, ideally all teachers would think that way, but that's not always what, what happens. Often it's like, you're not learning. Oh, well, you've got a problem, you know, but we look at, you're not learning. We need to do something different. We're going to keep learning and refining and helping you. And that will be always. So Ebley is not a program. It's not this static program. It's constantly evolving. If I find a way that you can teach something in five seconds instead of 10, it's going to, you know, be included in the instruction that we give to teachers. Yeah. We've got a problem. Everybody has a problem. If you speak English and you have English learners, people learning English, you have a problem everywhere. Some might be up to yeah. maybe 50%. I don't know, but and it's a very, you know, there's a documentary that I've, I'm the literacy consultant on. It just came out last month. Um, it's not out for everybody. It's out for screenings right now, but it's going to film festivals and all. It's called The Truth About Reading, The Invisible Crisis Hiding in Plain Sight. And that's what this is. It is a yes. huge crisis and almost nobody knows about it. And yes. every single person on this 
planet with English speaking, you know, reading supposed to be taught, they know somebody who struggles significantly with reading and they might have a doctorate degree. They might be tremendously successful, but they struggle tremendously and they don't know it. These people are so good. And this documentary has probably 10 adults who are successful that are non or struggling readers in it where they talk about their experience with it. So we have a lot of work to do, but we're doing it. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. So let's move on to now. So we've covered all that history and that's been fascinating. Within the world of dyslexia, often when you think about, oh, you're struggling with learning to read, especially in America, people say, right, you need to go and do Orton Gillingham or uh, some OG-based thing like uh, Wilson program or Barton, or I don't know them all. I'm not an expert in it all. And so I am just here as a sort of, like a, like a parent, really, going on an exploration. That's why it's called Dyslexia Explored. You know, exploring even ADHD, even executive function, you know, the whole range of things. And really, as a parent of someone with dyslexia, you have to become really very yes, you do. knowledgeable about the, the, the sort of edge case scenarios, which your child is an edge case scenario. If you can count 10% of the population as an edge case, which it is, I suppose, technically the other mm. 90% is not. But help me understand the landscape here, because you've explained the whole language, whole language, and then yeah. the, the phonics based. And then you've talked about the phonographic approach, yep. your, speech your to print. approach, yep. speech to print. Where does Orton Gillingham fit within that sort of dynamic? Orton Gillingham is a very, very, very intensive traditional phonics. So it okay. is starting with the letters, for sure. The rules of the letters, the rules of phonics, syllable types, a lot of cognitive load that the student has to learn. And, and also, Orton, I mean, it started back in the 1930s, Orton Gillingham, by uh, an educator and a doctor brilliant. Yes. They were at the leading edge of what they were doing as far as like, there's something going on with the brain of these kids. So that's where the International Dyslexia Association used to be called the International Orton Association came um, society, I think, came around. Okay, so for almost 100 years ago, is when this started. And then there's a lot of there's a lot Orton Gillingham is a it's again, it's not a program, it's a system of instruction. And it goes from print first. All right. And then so it moves really laboriously because there's also you have to have mastery now now that so many Orton Gillingham teachers have been trained in Ebley and they give me a lot of education I sat through Orton Gillingham trainings and all and I knew about the you know the traditional phonics pieces and the rules and all of that but what they say is kids have to master it they have to master certain sounds so one parent for example had her daughter uh middle schooler for over two years with just CVC words like cat and run and those kinds of words, never could move on from that after two to four hours a week for two years. So they, it's, it keeps them. And then they keep them only reading things that use the spellings they've been taught. And if they don't have mastery and make a mistake with the spelling, they have to go back and have more kind of drill and instruction on that. So it's really slow. And, and it, it teaches reading and it also teaches spelling, but kind of is, 
you know, not in the same activity for sure, a little bit in, with a different process somewhat. So it goes very, 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 very slow. And it moves kids. And a lot of times their reading gets better, of course. They don't, they're not very fluent, which is uh, attributed to their dyslexia. And often they do not become good spellers, which is also attributed to their dyslexia. So very slow, very laborious, very cognitively heavy program that is really, I mean, we have, there's decoding dyslexia in almost every state and lots of laws in almost every state in the United States that say you have to use a, you guys call it something different. They both start with S, structured literacy. I think it's structured literacy that you have to use this program, which all structured literacy programs that are approved are Orton-Gillingham programs. And I've heard that that's, that's changing, but I, and I've looked briefly into becoming a, you know, International Dyslexia Association provider kind of thing. But in the past, that wasn't an option if you were not an OG program. So a lot of colleges, a lot of focus on this whole science of reading stuff that's going around significantly is on that, that type of instruction. So letters first is the thing, much more time, much more cognitive overload. So that's, that's what Orton Gillingham has as far as their focus. And again, so much research has evolved and their, how their instruction is, is fairly similar to how it's been, it was all these decades ago. Right. So that's interesting. I, I don't, I, I tread very carefully into this realm because it's like religion because, you know, politics and religion, and then there's reading wars <laughs> in America. <Yep. laughs> there, you know, there, there's a lot of heated arguments on different sides. And it's normally between whole and phonics. But then you're coming in and you're coming in as a as another voice here. Where do you fit? We fit in the middle. We have all the great things of phonics, starting with sound, but not letters and all of that letter name stuff. We go with the sounds because that's what we speak. And we have all the good things of balanced literacy being we move quickly to books and to trade books where it's not just decodable books. So we we take the best of both of these worlds. Now, none of these people in either of these worlds are saying, let me wake up this morning and see if I can ruin children. Not at all. Okay. All of us start somewhere. All I mean, if I look at myself 25 years ago, I'm like, yikes, how did I teach anybody how to read from what I knew then? I know so much more now and I'll know so much more tomorrow and next week and next year. We all have more to learn and we all can be better. So the thing of it is, is when you now, when you see that there's a third way, okay, that there's this third way of speech. Now, this has been around for decades, at least three decades, but it's been, it's not been popular with the researchers. It's becoming so literally in the last six months, the people who teach it like me, we don't advertise. We don't go out and try to push it. We don't any of that because, because of these wars. Now these wars are in the U S and the U S is really good at the war thing as far as that goes, but it's also in Australia and New Zealand and Canada and England and all of Great Britain and any English speaking country, these wars are happening. They look a little different, but they're definitely happening. And they, they happen in the politics area, in the power, in the publishing companies, the money, the ego, those kinds of things is where these wars happen. So this way is not new. I didn't make it up. It's not mine. I, you know, the people that came before me, thank you, Diane McGinnis and, and, and Pat Lindemood and all of these people who had this great stuff. My job was to refine how you deliver this great, you know, research-based stuff to teachers so they can teach it to kids because theory is one thing and practice is a whole nother thing. So this is a third way. And it's a way that takes the best of everything and moves it so that it gets to teachers who can then get it to kids. Can I be devil's advocate for a moment, please? Mm -hmm. 
because I'm just thinking if I was a listener, what would I be asking or wanted want to be asked? Would it be fair to say that each one of those parties would lay claim to evidence base? Oh, yes, for sure. Because the little I've read about it, often this starts off in universities and colleges where professors and researchers are researching it and they're looking at this body of research that supports this approach and then another group support looks at this body of research and you know so are they all claiming the three different aspects here claiming a certain body of research to reinforce their perspective and i can say that with absolute certainty. There's a a new podcast that was just released last week. The first three episodes of six are out. It's called Sold a Story by American Public Media. Absolutely fascinating. Anybody who has any interest whatsoever in literacy, it's by far the best thing on literacy that I've ever been exposed to. I mean, I've learned so much and, and a lot of it I lived, so I knew of, but not to the degree as far as the history of how we got here. But the reading war thing and there's, it's all over the internet. Could you reference it, please, so that people yep. will put it in their show notes so yep. people can it's, go and... It's if you Google or whatever, sold a story by Amer- APM, American Public Media. Emily Hanford is the educational journalist. And it's absolutely fascinating. Going way back okay. to the 40s of how we've gotten here, you know, globally with the crisis of literacy that we have. I mean, it's infuriating and it also provides hope, but it provides such, I mean... It's pretty intensive, actually, to listen to. Um, It's something else. So I highly recommend that. So now it doesn't bode well for balanced literacy in some of these practices that were well-meaning by the people who created it. But now we have brain imaging and research that show "Mm, that's really not what's going on. And this is causing some of the problem. They feel very threatened, of course. And I've read many things actually this morning. I woke up at midnight, actually. I've been reading till four in the morning of these things of this is the research that we're talking about. And this is why you're, you know, so, so countering what she is reporting in here, which, I mean, she has the people who like Lucy, Lucy's next time, but Fondas and Pinnell and Reading Recovery, uh, Mari Clay from New Zealand speaking. She has recordings of them, at, you know, doing presentations, that type of thing. So this is, it's fact. She's, and I know her because she's interviewed, she's come to my place and interviewed for some of her stuff that she's done. And she goes for fact. Now, does she know everything in the world? No, but she is, it's, it's amazing. So both now the brain imaging and all of this, these people are like, quit, go overdoing the phonics stuff. That's what they're like. Why are we in phonics forever? They're not wrong. It's a good question, right? They're like, how can you read when you don't know how? It's like telling somebody you have ridden on a jet. I've ridden on a jet a lot of times. I've flown in a jet so many times. So I've had so much exposure to jetting why don't I just go fly it? So Darius, come on with me and I'm going to fly this jet. Nobody's taught me how. I don't know anything about it. I've seen the cockpit, right? Now, would you be wanting to come on a plane with me? I'm feeling like it's not going to turn out well, right? Yeah. Same thing. We're doing that same thing with these kids where we're we're not teaching them. So both of these people, they are going to find research that they can quote. And it's all about the adults. These camps are all about the adults. They're not saying about what are outcomes with our kids? What's going on with the kids? That discussion really is almost nowhere in literacy stuff. It puzzles me a lot as a nurse, you know, with a science-based focus, like, why are we not talking about the outcomes of the patient or the student? 
We don't even talk about that. It's all about, I believe this and I believe that. And this is my, you know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it's, you know, I feel I have all kinds of books by Marie Clay and I reading recovery. I've been to, to their training. I've been to Orton Gillingham. I know about these things because I need to know about them, about what to do and even more so what not to do, because it's about the kids. It's not about me. It's about the kids. It's not about the, the teachers. It's about the kids. It's not about the parents. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure there'll be people who are just interested now to think, am I right in thinking you have a 12 week program? Is that the idea? You've mentioned 12 weeks or 12, <laughs> 12 sessions hours. or something. 12 hours. 12 hours. Okay. Tell us more about this 12 hours. What, what are you talking about here? Well, it's the instruct, explicit instruction with kids. So at our reading center here in mid-Michigan, where we've worked with thousands of kids for remediation, people who struggle with reading, people with dyslexia, that type of thing, the average amount of time we teach, it's actually less than 12 hours, to be honest, when we, we gathered over a period of some time, like almost 800 of our clients from kindergarten to adults. And the average was, oops, excuse me, the average was actually a little less than 10 hours of instruction. All right, to get them above grade level on um, these word ID and word attack, which is the gold standard with these Woodcock Johnsons. And we also test fluency, but looking at these standardized assessments, uh, huge. Now these are replicated with teachers that we have taught. They follow the data too, and they can replicate this teaching small group and teaching whole class also. So the 12 hours was came from phonographics, actually. They had some research on 12 hours. They told us 12 hours. That was my experience, except for a lot of times, it, like my daughter was three, it was less. Now that's a trigger. People listening right now are going to maybe want to jump through and strangle me on this, which totally was not expected. Because when I did this, I did a webinar six months ago on speech to print versus print to speech and doing some comparison, you know, kinds of things. And the thing that triggered people, teachers and parents, both, by the way, was when I talked about 12 hours of instruction, because typically it's years. And that was very offensive to a lot of people. And I'm not totally sure why, but it still is. And it's a huge trigger, but it's the truth. Let's just kind of explain why that might be upsetting. Yeah. Because I have clients, students who I teach mind mapping to through the, through the Bullet Map Academy and also adults who I teach through dyslexia at work. Many of the children are doing two hours a week with a tutor and they've been doing it for a couple of years. So we're talking 100 hours. That's a low number. I mean, and I researched that too when I did my speech to print thing. It's usually what, what I found when I could find it. Now I'm finding different, actually, it's a lot more from what people who have experienced it are telling me, but two to four hours a week for two to four years is what I have seen more consistently when I, when I researched it on online. So that's a lot of hours. And so okay. I get that parents have come to us that have spent upwards of a half a million dollars and their children are still reading many years below grade level. So I think that so much time and energy and money has been put into helping these kids. And I think that there's a mindset that really they aren't ever going to be great readers or spellers, possibly. That seems to be. I'm not sure because I haven't experienced it as them. But I think that because they put in all of this, there's a cognitive dissonance and also a, a grieving and an anger to say, oh, really, you can do it in 12 hours and we've been doing 400 and they're still not there? Like, what kind of a crazy person are you? 
And I get that, but it's just the truth. I mean, I, I could lie. I don't really say the three hours about my daughter because it triggers so many people. And I, my goal is not to take off people, you know? Okay. I'm finding this really hard to compute and I, I can get why the parents are wondering where this difference is. So help me understand this. So when you, what's the benchmark for the, the sort of reading grade? So basically let's say, let's say I'm an adult doing this, would you be able to bring me up to reading grade of an adult? Or would that be a high school, you know, leaving high school? How would that work for adult? Would you help me calibrate that? Yes. Now, if, if a student is going to go into special ed, they call that in the United States, okay, because they're struggling with reading, they do a testing. Now, typically, if you're getting a dyslexia test, one of the main gold standards tests is a form of a Woodcock-Johnson. They have, you know, Woodcock, WJ3, those kinds of things. So in there, dyslexia presents as a word reading difficulty and challenge. So there's two subtests within these WJ tests. There's a variety of them. Our word, word identification, which is reading a list of real words. It goes anywhere from kindergarten all the way to college graduate as far as a grade level. So how well you're gonna read a list of real words in isolation, okay, which is a good yeah. indicator of how well you're gonna read in reading. And then the other one, which is even more telling, I find, is word attack. And those are nonsense words. Words that you, Colleen, my daughter, could not have memorized. Words you would have to decode to figure them out. Almost always, they're much higher in word ID, real words, and word attack is much lower. Um, and then it shifts with, us with Ebley after, you know, when we usually test after 12 hours and that shifts now, ideally for an adult, we would want them at a 16 point, whatever, which is a college graduate level. So typically on average, the vast majority, regardless of how old or young, uh, well, third grade and older test at about a third grade level with these tests. We also, we also test fluency and accuracy when they're reading, right? Because that's what you're all you know, the point. So those two assessments are again, thought of as the gold standard. They're used widely. They're very well respected in the, these Woodcock tests. That's what we tested here. So am I, am I right in thinking that before a student comes, you would test them on this test and they would be third grade. They do 10 to 12 hours of training and they'd get up to the equivalent grade level that they would be at in school or uh, according to their age. Yes. And that in an, in and they, you would retest them yes. with the same test with another bunch of random words and, and check them. This, the one that we use is the WJ3 uh, reading battery. And that one had it's continuously normed. So you use the list and then you use the same, you know, we don't teach the words, but it's the same. And if you couldn't read them before and you can read them now, now you're comparing oh, apples see. to apples. Okay. So, okay. so that's, and we do that. We don't, it's not like with research, we do have some research, actually some federal research. We're waiting to hear if we got it or not. It's a five-year grant studying first grade classrooms with Epley. So we're, we're really excited about that. And they're going to use these same assessments, which is from University of Virginia, which are at the leading edge for what should be happening with literacy in the world, as a matter of fact. So we're very, very excited about that. Fingers crossed on, on receiving that grant. But yes, so we, we do these assessments and then we do that. Now, some kids, especially older kids, all right? Everything that I ever read in all of my years of researching this said, past third grade, forget about them. They're never going to learn to read. Our experience is past third grade, they read so much fast. They learn so much faster in so much less time. So we can get, like some of our schools would do comprehension. We have some data that we've gotten. They might get five grade level gains in comprehension in less than six hours average. Okay. Now there's some kids 
and some adults, right? That might take 24 hours. We've had, I can think of two clients in the 23 years I've had my reading center that have taken more than a hundred hours. One of them had had part of their brain removed as a 26 year old. The other one had had major seizures from four to eight years old. Interestingly, when we started doing reading instruction that worked, he couldn't, he had no memory, zero working memory. I'd never had anything like that. 187 hours he, he did that we took with him. And now he owns his own business and he's, you know, we worked with him when he's in second grade. So, so there, some people, when you have, you know, really significant neurodiverse or, or um, you know, issues that are impeding learning will take not, we aren't saying, oh man, you have part of your brain missing. We're not going to teach you or, oh gosh, you had seizures and you have no working memory. You can't learn. We don't do that. We, we learn what do we need to do differently so that you learn. And there's a lot of other factors for that too. So, but the average is less than 12 hours. Okay. So listeners will be going, okay, Nora, 12 hours. What do you do in 12 hours? What is it that happens in those 12 hours? Yeah. You know what I would say, go to ebly.com and look at our free webinars because over the last two years, I have been giving so much where you can not only see it, but also have things that you can apply right now, whether you're a parent or a teacher or a grandparent or anybody to help these kids. So what we do is we integrate so much stuff. We aren't doing phonemic awareness all by itself over here. It's integrated into our instruction and it's always using letters. And we're teaching the concepts of English with simple, straightforward activities. So the first concept is in English, one letter can spell a sound, but so can two and three and four. And what I mean by that is you do the word at, at, one letter to spell a, one letter to spell t, she, sh, e, two letters spell sh now, right? So two letters for sh, or you do the word high. I'm going to jump very high, h-i. Now that's a three-letter way. To, that's a three-letter spelling for one sound i. Or the word um, though, z-o. We have a two-letter spelling for z and a four-letter spelling for o. So one, two, three, or four letters can spell one sound. Thank you, Samuel Johnson from England. Okay, that's because he borrowed from all these other places. Then, also thanks to him, about there's about 40, 40-ish sounds, 37 to 44, depending on who you ask, in English. All of those sounds can be spelled in more, almost all of them, can be spelled in more than one way. Anywhere from two to 20. The sound shh, there's 20 ways to spell it. So let's say the sound e, okay? So vowels and consonants, by the way. So the sound e can be spelled ea in team, ee in feet, ie in chief, y in happy. I and taxi, E and he, okay? So there's six of the top ways, there's more than that, to spell E. We're gonna teach them that in a way where it helps them pick up patterns, right? And deals with a system of logic that they can apply. We're not gonna teach all the ways to spell all the sounds for 44, 40, 44 sounds. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna teach maybe six or eight. And with older kids, even less, because when you have that concept, it's not about the content, which people think it is. It's about the understanding the concept and applying it you know, through this self-teaching, once you've had explicit and effective, you know, instruction of how it works. So that's the, the second concept. The third concept is in English, we have, like we talked about great and head, we have the same spelling EA that can be E like in team, right? It also can be a, the spelling for a, like in great and the spelling for F like in head. So the same spell, the, the letter S think about that. You say, Oh yeah, that's right. Like in sat, but what about is now it's z. What about sure? Now it's sh. So the same spelling, different sound. And then you have to have these phonemic awareness skills to be able to deal with that in text, which is the whole point. And then you have to be able to spell and read multisyllable words. You need a process 
for how to do that without a whole bunch of rules that are not consistent. Some of the syllable rules, they work 18% of the time. Now, what would you like? Would you like to fly in that plane when it's going to get you there 18% of the time and the rest of the time it's going to crash? Why are we doing what we're doing is a good question to ask. So anyway, those are it. And then you don't just teach that stuff. You apply it. Reading in text, writing so that you can practice spelling and giving immediate correction. This is fascinating. Um, I mean, I'm not... I'm, I don't live in the world of teaching people how to read and so on. And I very rarely get into it because quite frankly, it, it, it's a huge realm to become expert at, and that's not my realm. Could you give me one example of how you would go about teaching, uh, you know, something that gives people an aha moment to understand the heart of it? I found that whole speaking it out and then starting to write it down thing really helpful. Could you give another example that helps people understand? Can I show you and talk you through it too? Can I do oh, that? Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, we'll do it on the video too. Yeah. I love a bit of show and tell. I love show and tell. We'll put this one on YouTube, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. We'll, okay. we'll put this on YouTube if that's okay, Nora. Yeah, that's that fine okay? with me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we'll do is we'll put the timestamp of this visual bit okay. into the show notes so that if you want to go click straight through onto the YouTube and get to straight to this point, hopefully we'll be able to get straight to this show and tell point. All right. Are you ready? So you're going to be my student. I'm ready. Give me a lesson. All right. This is my... Mrs. <laughs> Shabazi. <laughs> Whoa, we got something written down here. This is my favorite thing to do. So there you go. Okay. All right, Darius, you are my kid. So you notice what's not on this board? Anything, quite frankly, except for this writing. It is blank. Okay. So I want you to tell me what's the first sound you say in up? What do you say first in up? Ah. Uh, Beautiful. What's the next sound in up? Huh. Beautiful. Yep. What's the first sound in T? Why did you just put two lines there? Well, you said uh. This is a placeholder for uh. And you said, oh, this is a placeholder for, okay. Okay. Yes. Right. Normally I would preface this a little bit, but it's I don't... like, it's like a uh, hangman. Okay. <laughs> kind of, kind of. Right. yes. But yeah. with a twist. Okay. okay. <laughs> but thank you for the question. What's the first sound in T? T. Yep. And I want you to say that without, because ta is really two sounds. T, ah. So if we say it quiet with our mouth shut a little bit, we say T. Okay. So say T. Yep. Beautiful. What's the next sound in T? E. What's your first sound in urn? Uh. Now you're thinking of grandma's ashes urn, right? That's the urn. I'm thinking of a different urn, but it doesn't matter. Both are the same sounds. When I say urn, what's the first sound that you hear in urn? What comes out of your mouth? What do you oh, hear? to earn some money. It, what do, you, what okay. do your ears hear your mouth say first in urn? Uh, uh. Yep, thank you. You're gonna go, see, this is what we're dealing with. You know how to speak these words. Segmenting the sounds is not natural, okay? This is okay. something that we teach. And so you've got to go with the words you say and pulling those sounds apart. Not about you're, you're looking it. away a little bit because you want to look at the word. No looking at the word. Okay. Looking straight ahead, you're going to engage your auditory sense. So keep your eyes on my little board here. I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> you're doing a good job. So what's that first sound in urn? Uh, yeah. Do you see how your eyes went up? Because you're like, I really yeah. want to look at that word. I want you to get out of your. This is what our biggest thing. What do you mean? Are, I shouldn't look at the word in my imagination. Yeah. Why, because why when you look at the word, what you see is the letters. When you see the I'm letters, I'm not looking at the word. I don't. You, see in your word. mind, you are. <laughs> when you look up, you're engaging your um, your visuals, like you're trying to pull from memory. When you're looking oh. straight ahead, you're engaging your auditory sense. So I watch for that with learners when they're looking up because they're like, "What does that word look like?" Okay, it's gonna. This like for urn, like the urn with grandma's ashes. You said ah. Uh. Why? Because that's the first sound that if you did urn, the first letter is U. A lot of times for you, there's a ah. Uh. That's the sound oh, that goes with it. There's other sounds yeah. too. So that's what you're doing. 
So I need to undo that with, you know, kids don't do it as much, but teachers do it a lot because they've got all this information that I need to kind of put in the baggage outside the door. That's just the truth. Okay. So what's that first sound an urn? I'm looking. Uh, uh, what do you hear? Uh, yep. Er, beautiful. You trust your uh, ears and your mouth. Beautiful job, Darius. Er, what's your next sound an urn? No. Yep. Mm, and keep that again, quiet without that extra sound. Mm, so just mm, mm, perfect. What's okay. your first sound in way? Whoa. What's your next sound in way? A. Nice. Now, normally I would have you do yeah. this. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Do you say way? Way. What's the next second sound right here in way? What do you hear me say? Look here at my fingers. Look at my fingers because uh -huh. then you look and you're going to engage your auditory. What do you hear me say right here in way? Copy, get me a. a. Yeah, because we don't say way, yeah, right? What a. No. Way. Next is oh, the other way. We do. Yeah. And yeah, we okay. do. Trust your ears. Right. Your ears and your mouth, you take with them everywhere. They're going to give you so much stuff. Now, this I'm going to show you, but I have to show you because you're not here with me. So, and if you, I were really teaching you online, you'd have your own board, but you don't. So that's okay. So now you notice what we don't have here. We just Any did, letters. Exactly. When I'm just, talking, we go from speech. Just like hangman. <laughs> kind of, you're too funny. Okay. So watch me first. I don't want you to write anything on your paper yet. Okay. Here's okay. the word up. Now, always with it, anytime I teach anybody, I always model first, so you know what I'm talking about. All right. So now this is key with teaching speech first and going from spelling. So just watch me for a second. Then you're going to do it. When your hand is writing a letter or a group of letters, your mouth is saying the sound at the exact same time. So watch me first. Uh, when I lift my marker off the page, I stop my mouth. This is how you're going to learn certain code, but don't do it yet, Darius. Uh, okay. And then now you say as you write up on your paper, let me hear you say those sounds. Uh, puh. Very good. Now here's the word T. So don't go ahead of me at all. What's your first sound in T? T. Say as you write T. Write it on your page and say T. Good job. What's your next sound here in T? What do you hear next? E. So hold on a second. How many letters are going to spell E? Two. Right. And you notice I didn't ask you what are the letter names. Kind of want you not doing that. So I, I, the number. So now I can be diagnostic with you. With I'm not even there. So two. Write those two letters and say E. E, E. Yep, right as you write. Good job. Here's the word earn. What's now both of these earns, this kind of earn money and the earn of grandma's ashes earns, they're the same exact sounds. It's just different spellings for the same sound. Okay. What's your first sound in earn? Uh well, that would be un. What do you hear? What comes out of your mouth first when you say earn? What do you hear first? Uh, uh. There you go. What's your ears here? Now you're getting visual interference because I put these letters down. That's why we don't do the letters first because you've been taught a bunch of stuff and it needs to be refined a little bit, which is fine. Okay. That's what life is about. Er. So how many letters do you think spell er in this word? Uh, two. This is er. How many letters? Oh, three. Right. So write those letters and say er. Let me hear you. Er. Yeah. And I want you to say it like you mean it. Er. Er. Because you're kind of wanting an uh in there because you still have that grandma's ashes thought in your head. All right. So just er. This is er. Right? Okay. What's your next sound in earn? No. Yep. Write that and say mm. Mm. Oh, that was good oh. job with nice and pure earn. there. Okay. Earn. Earn. Okay. Earn. Okay. Here's the word way. Way. What's your first oh, sound in way? What do you um, say? What's your mouth say first? What do you use your first in way? Way. Way is two way. sound. What's the first sound? Way. Yep, beautiful. Write that and say woo. Woo. Write okay. that and say woo. 
Oh, okay. Got yeah. you. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. What's our next? Uh-huh. You're too fun. What's your next sound in way? A. Different way than you were thinking, right? How many letters are going to go on this line to spell A? Four. Write all four of those and say A. Write them and say A. A. This is how you're learning this code. I don't have to do a lesson. I don't have to do a drill. I don't have to do a worksheet. It's in the context of a word. It makes it meaningful and relevant. So this is the first activity we do with basically everybody, second grade and above. First thing. Okay. Okay. So the reason I showed you this is so that, you know, all of these words have two sounds, but I want you to know in English, when we say a sound, a sound can be spelled with one letter. A sound could be spelled with two letters. A sound could be spelled with three letters and a sound could be spelled with four letters. One, two, three, four letters, one sound out of our mouth. Okay. Wow. Yes. I know. This is like, what? Nobody knows that. I was a great reader and I didn't know that. You know, and I'm a much better reader because of it. And I'm a much better speller too. Okay. Now for the second concept, I'm trying to not go too crazy on you here. Let's do for fun. I want you to put four lines across your paper or five. Let's do five lines across your paper. Now in English. I'm writing this on a jury citation paper. (laughs) I shouldn't really be doing that. That's probably (laughs) evidential of some sort. That's really funny. I'm going to get another bit of paper. I'm going to do it on my iPad. That's what I'm going to do. Give me some paper. Here we go. Yes. Okay. So we're going to look at, let's do J. I'll just do five ways. We're going to look at five different ways to spell the sound J. Okay. So watch me first. Did you say five lines? Five lines. Yep. One, two, three, four, five. There's more, but I'm just going to do five right now. All right. So watch me first. Underneath this first line, I'm going to say the sounds. That's really key. As I write the word Jeep, it looks like this. J, E, P, Jeep. Say as you write Jeep under that, under your first line. Let me hear you. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on. G is two sounds. What's the first sound in G? What do you say first? G. G is a letter name. Every constant letter name is at least two sounds. So G is two sounds. What do you say right here in G? So oh, J is different from G. Okay, got you. The letter name G. E. Okay. E. Right. So watch me. I'm going to show you something called dot and dash. When one letter spells a sound like the uh and up and the puh. So watch me first. I'm, you're going to put a dot and say the sound. When two, three or four letters spell a sound, you're going to put a dash. So watch me and then you're going to do it. It looks like this. G-E-P-G. Now you say okay. the sounds as you dot and dash. J. Nice. J-E-P. Nice. And up here, we're going to put our spelling for J. Okay. Put your spelling for J at the top. J. Got it? Okay. Under here, I want you to say as you write Jim. J. I. Mm, like gym class. Say the sounds as you write gym. J-M. Yep. And I want you to be real. You did a little bit of slurry those together, which is what we want to do when we read. But when we're doing this, we want to be really soldier-like and separate the sounds because that's how we're going to learn the code. So it sounds like this. J. I. M. Okay. J. I. M. Beautiful job. So now we're going to. So strange writing Y (laughs) and saying I. But if you look so at the word strange. like myth, right? That's it. It's yeah. a, a lot of times at the in the middle yeah. of the word there. Okay, so now we're okay. gonna dot and dash Jim. So say the sounds as you dot and dash Jim. J I M. And here's another dot, dot, dot. Yep. And yeah. there's another way to spell J. So put that guy at the top for J. This is fun. Isn't this it is fun? fun? That's this what everybody says. Kids who have the worst behavior problems, they're like, no problem. Teachers are like, how can I have no? We just had an interview with a kindergarten teacher. She said, 
Okay, day 47 of kindergarten within a high poverty school with kids who can't write their name or couldn't. Day 47, she said, I did a lesson with 55 minutes, not one behavior problem with 28 kids, not one. They're completely engaged. You, you, it's very, you know, multi-sensory. And they're all doing this? Are they all doing this? Are they all sitting there in the class? With their own board? Exactly. With their own board. And then yeah. the teacher goes, right, should we put the dots on and so on? Yeah, we do. Oh, they yeah. do it just like we're doing. Yes. It's phenomenal. This is good. Can, can I enter? This is really good. Okay. But can I, could you do a side by side for me now? Like I'm going a bit more meta. Like if I was learning Jeep in another method, what would I be doing? It would be taking you a very long time. You would be learning the one letter spellings like the J and the P and the I. Some schools now they're hopefully getting away from that. Well, they'll teach all of those sounds. Like for a week, you learn J and for a week, you learn M and for a week, you learn T. And then at the end of 20 weeks, which is a lot of time, you learn the sounds of the vowels. Like you might let X, every word has a vowel. You can't do that. Then it takes years as a teacher yeah. with with mostly when our dyslexic kids years for them to get where they're going to be teach learning the two letter spellings we do it like in the first session we test them we okay. do up to and away we do this activity yeah right okay because this makes sense and it's fun and it's based on what you know which is your words coming out of your mouth and you've got your mouth and your ears so you're going to do another three here and i'm going to guess they're all for the sound j they are and there's actually more than five, but we only have so much time. I know it. I've been on here for a while. So okay. I'm just going to do the top five. Okay. Under here, you're going to say your right page. P A J. Say your right page. P A J. Right. That's a dot dot line. Yep. So say your dot and dash page. Let me hear you. Go ahead and do I've it on your paper. A J. Right. Now up here, you're going to put another way to spell J. Oh, gosh. G. <laughs> Yes. All right. I could really wig you out if I gave you like seven of these weights, but yeah, it's pretty fun. You good? Keep going. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Under here, say is your right bridge. Say those sounds as you're writing. Is your hand is ready? Right. Say is your dad dash bridge. Oh my goodness. D G E major. Yeah, fudge and hedge and judge and bridge. Yep. All of this is so subconscious for me, but j, bridge, yeah, with an e, yeah. Oh so, wow. Okay. So Got you. I'm gonna say as I say as I dot and dash here, and we're gonna check yours. Okay, tell me the sounds in bridge. B, r, e, j. Yep. So all of this, you know how you said d. Like I walked over the bridge to get a wedge of footage. We don't say duh there. This is just a spelling part oh, of it. That didn't come out of your mouth at the same time. But oh, this is very right. common at the end. And you'll start seeing patterns. Oh, here's a common vowel. Some people call it short vowel. And that we learned the first one we learned in kindergarten. When we hear j after that, almost always it's spelled like this. This is where the pattern seeking missiles in our brain basic are like, oh, I love those patterns. Wow. Now I'm going to apply it when I read judge. Now I'm going to apply it when I read edge. I got it that way. This is why it doesn't take very long. All right. Are you ready? I'm trying to figure out if I should throw you way over the cliff or I don't think that'd be nice. Straight okay. over the cliff, please. Straight you over want the cliff. To? Yeah. 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 Put a bungee on me so I can bounce back. <laughs> okay. I, I'll be right here to help you. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Say is your right graduate. 
graduate. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I find hard spelling graduate hard. Okay. okay so、graduate. say this one. You're, you're not going to find it. Say it sounds as、like、you write spell gra. Say g. Write it and say g. You write it while you're saying it. Are you doing it? Oh, right. G. R. A. What's your next sound? What's your first sound in Jew? Graj. Graj. J. Right? Say as you write that. J. What's next? J. What's your next sound in Jew? Jew. O. Say as you write that. O. O. And then eight. Eight. Right? Okay. Let, let's say as we dat and dash it. Let's say as we do gra. What are our sounds in gra? G. G. R. R. A. What's the first sound in Jew? Jew. Jew is two sounds. So it's the first sound in Jew. Jew. What do you hear first? J. Yep. So how many letters? Two. This is J. This one letter. Educate, graduate. This is a spelling for J. Got it and say J. J. Okay.、Yep. J. One dot. Okay. Yep. What's the next sound in Jew? Jew. Just say U. J. U. Now A. A. I'm exhausted. Well, one, two, that's three, a great four, five, six dots and one line,、okay. which doesn't really that part doesn't matter as far as the, it's like. I thought Jew、through. would be like. But if look at your mouth, line under. If、Jew. your mouth is moving two times, Jew, it's definitely two sounds. So each、All、sound,、right. yeah, and、okay. you you being exhausted is an important point here. We especially the first session when we teach kids. Your brain is two percent of your body weight, but takes up twenty percent of your energy. When you're learning something new, it's forty percent. When it's something new that's really complex, six. You're exhausted. You're going to be tired. Sorry. Hopefully, you have time for a nap after this. So here's our spelling for J. Okay. You got it. So this is just five of them. I think there's probably eight or nine. Hold on、basically. a minute. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on a minute. The spelling for J is just a D. Grad J. It is. Congratulations! That is a bit of a mind melt, isn't it? I, I, there are <laughs> you people who are listening、Darius? to this, making fun of me because they're kind of no, like, no, no, on, no. Darius, they're like,、obvious. they're like, thank God I'm not. No, oh no, 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 oh no! I've trained thousands of teachers, and they're like, what are you talking about? You're blowing my mind, and still all、ja. the time. Yeah, just as the this is just there's there's probably six no four five ways to spell J that include this spelling in it. Okay. That、so、and if you say that is j g g e d g e and d, what? But well, well, you know. Well, what are you when, saying over there, Darius? I don't know what you're when, talking when about. You're, when you're learning as a kid, well, when I was learning as a kid, or when I was actually teaching kids, like the sound for j is j, the sound for g is g, and then g e g e g e. Well, you're right. Duh, like in gu, eh, and then there's duh, but you're saying duh, gu, eh is ja. Well, this is what you said out of your mouth, right?、Bridge. That's a symbol.、Yeah. We could have made this the symbol for ja, right? They just made it、yeah. that. Yeah. Sam Johnson,、yeah. it's his fault. Okay, but it's really consistent. You're going to start、it、seeing、is. this. You're like, oh my gosh, look at all those words with that ja after the vowel. That's just common stuff. Then there's the、yes. patterns. We sort words and put a bunch of words here. They're like, look at here. When you have a vowel that it's its letter name, like a, okay. And you hear j at the end. That's usually how it's going to be spelled. I never say always because you'll always find something that's not the the case in there. Okay, so page and rage and I don't know. Oh, so are you saying whenever you have a dot with a line after it, like a the dots and the、long? lines don't really matter. 
It's oh, the sounds. Right. Okay. So what, what right. I'm saying is P A. That's the letter name A, right? Um, that can Page. be. There's nine sounds that can go with that letter, by the way. So P A. When I hear the letter name, some people call it the long sound. Before a J sound, this is almost always how I'm going to spell it. That J. Page. Okay. Right. I want to move on to how much is this going to cost me to learn? Okay. And, and your answer could probably be your aim is nothing because you're going to learn this at school and it's part of it. Is that what you're going to say? But then I would like that, but it's not the reality of life. And guess what? When my kid is suffering, like my kid did, and like so yeah. many kids did, I'm not yeah. interested in waiting until my teachers in my school, in my district, in my state may possibly think this is a good idea because it's probably going to be after I'm dead. Yeah. So what, what typically does it cost to do a program? Like at our reading thing? center, at our reading, now you can either get trained in it and teach your child and the training provides everything, the teacher training, the student learning, the materials, everything you need, we give you besides a whiteboard and marker. And that is $3,000 to, to do that, which is very cheap. You can do one classroom of LLI, which is the whole language guess and do that kind of thing. And it's thousands of dollars per classroom. Um, so the, the schools are used to paying a lot of money for things that don't work very well. So we have kept our price point very low because we want to teach the world to read, right? And have access and anybody can teach it. A parent, a grandparent, anybody can teach it. We also do have our reading center. There's other people who teach, I believe, privately, a lot of them. And at our reading center, our fee is $90 an hour. So typically for 12 hours, we give a 10% discount when parents pay like for six sessions because we have less paperwork to do at a time if they don't need them all because their kids are done we refund that so uh, however that much that is times an average of 12 some will be more some will be less Could cost you 1100 pounds to teach your child well dollars. that's dollars i don't know if it's yeah, the same in yeah. pounds, okay. pounds, but, pounds <laughs> i don't know what you're gonna yeah. get yeah but about a thousand to yeah. do this yes that's and then really we have quite cheap oh it's very cheap it's ridiculously cheap most parents are like i've paid hundreds of thousands of dollars especially if you if well, it works well yeah that's fascinating that's fa absolutely fascinating nora <laughs> it's just been brilliant i've loved this it's been good fun hearing from you i appreciate um, you letting me do my obsession here and share it with you so we well, just have to come together we have to work together there's a solution we can put a fence at the top for everybody we don't have to have humpty dumpty falling off by the millions we don't have to have that happen and we don't even think about the trauma that these people experience this the documentary that uh, that's called um the truth about reading you can actually google that also and, and look at the trailer for it um the official trailer is out but the movie won't be public for about a year but there's many 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 adults who are so one of them traumatized so much that his stomach ruptured from all the stress hormone these kids you know and they're one of them was telling me you know what happens when i go to a restaurant First of all, I'm sick to my stomach because I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a whole lot of minefields here. And then if there aren't people sitting around that I can't look at their food, I don't know really what's there. There's no pictures on the menu. What do I do there? So I walk around more to see if I can see the food. Then the waiter comes to me or it looks like they're going to either have to go to the bathroom or I say, oh, I'm not ready. And I ask somebody else. And then my choice is what somebody else has ordered. Or if I ask what the specials are, or most places have a hamburger and I'll ask that. But you have no idea the stress to go to a restaurant, the stress to try to write a sentence in an email, wow. the stress to try to, you know, read uh, your prescription bottle. I mean, this is not okay. It's not okay. And, yeah. and people have made it political. 
People have made it ego focused. People have made it about the adults that are doing the teaching and the adults that are making the decisions. And that's not okay. It's just not okay. I'm just trying to imagine 12 lessons of doing this in a class at school. That's just one term. No, that's not even one term. That's well, like, I mean, if you we... did two classes in a week, <laughs> but wait a that's minute. a week. And then you're talking about. But I four... need to stop you, Darius. Right. We do 12 hours with one-on-one. When you're teaching a class of 20, 30 kids, we slow it down purposely. We even slow okay. it down more for our teachers because it's overwhelming for them to how fast it goes. We can't tell them when we're talking to them how fast it's going to go. Because that's almost as bad as saying it's going to work in 12 hours. That's just such cognitive dissonance. So the speed that it happens when you're teaching 20 is going to be, you know, it might take, our lessons don't go through all of kindergarten. And then we spiral and we re-teach in first and second to re, and then raise that bar and that type of thing. So yes, it does not take, you will have kids reading by Christmas, pretty much almost always all your kids by or before Christmas time and moving even into trade books instead of decodable books and that type of thing. This is all possible. It's not possible. It's happening. It's happening in places where people are open enough to try and believe it and prove it to themselves. Right. But there's the, the blocker is people thinking this isn't possible, even though it's been happening with thousands of teachers and tens of thousands of students, or this goes against what I've been doing. And you're telling me I'm wrong. I've been told people have told me that I said, you know, when I had no, I couldn't see and I didn't even know I could see. And I got glasses at 16. I didn't think, and then I got context. I didn't think, oh my gosh, the glasses were wrong. No, now there's a more efficient way. This is great. Then I got LASIK surgeries. LASIK surgery is like the, the ebbly of glass. I didn't have to have anything. This is awesome. Right now. I didn't say I hated those contacts. That was terrible. And those glasses. Oh my gosh, I should have crushed them long ago. No, they served me for what I had and what I did. And then you, you evolve and continue to move along. So this is not about anybody being wrong. This is about what do we need to do differently to help our kids? That's all it is. Faster. Fast and well, so that they get, how would you feel to be outside of a literacy, literate society? Everybody has this, they're reading this, they're doing that, they're writing to you. I can't write to anybody. I mean, think about what yeah, that is. Yeah, I know what it feels like because I yeah. lived that when I was yes. at school with dyslexia. You know, I was the one who was getting the asterisk comics when my friends were pulling out the famous five and the teachers are saying you have to read one book a, a week and they gave me special yeah. dispensation and I could read an, a little micro asterisk book not yeah, even the full mass asterisk it would be the smaller cut down one and, and that's not okay so they're saying oh look at you this is what we're going to do this is what you're capable of Darius but we're going to give you this and it's your yes. fault so you reduce no. your expectations of the person totally. totally and then the person rises to your reduced expectations exactly yep they do. Well, we never have reduced expectations. Never. Tell me yeah. that this, you know, the number of people that walk through this door, which is a trauma center, quite frankly, and the parents saying, well, they said my child can't read. They've got the worst dyslexia or that school said, oh, they've tried for two months. They'll never be able to read. Who says that? Come on. Jeez, Louise. <sighs> it's very sad and not okay. So we are on a mission and we have the answer. You know, did I want the answer? I did not want the answer. I still don't quite frankly want the answer. I don't like people trying to shoot at me in these reading wars because, oh my gosh, you're not doing it my way or you do this or, uh, you're saying, you know, no, this is not about you adults. This is not about you. This is not about your comfort. This is not, this is about the joy in the life, the entire life of our children. 
goodness. Okay, so you're basically saying doing 12 or uh, I, I wish I, you wouldn't. I, I'm nervous that you keep 12. I keep going saying 12. Only because on the 12. people I'm are sorry. freaking out listening and watching. They're freaking but out. It's, it's and they'll not dismiss very you many, and me. You know, yes. in comparison to a 100. very decreased so number. A lot yes. less than 100 <laughs> lessons. <laughs> yes. Let's put it that way. Yes, this is true. Of these kind of say it, write it, put dots on it, and break it down. That's really fascinating because what I like about it, just having been through it a little moment there, is you're starting with something you're completely confident about already, which is I can say Jeep, I can say Jim. So I'm starting from a position of strength. I'm starting from a position of confidence, of familiarity. So I've got an anchor point. I'm standing yes. on something. You're actually giving a head start on the race. Yeah. You're stretching me out from that sort of safe space. And then I'm going into rightward breaking it down. Okay, I could do that. And I like that. I could break it down. If I would have started with you with cat and run and sit, how insulting, right? I mean, I could have done that. That's what most people are going to start with. Even as adults, they're going to start. I don't yeah. want to read Tim and Jim swim. Thank you very much. When I'm a, a middle schooler or a high schooler, or an adult. Well, even if I, if I knew nothing, if I absolutely knew nothing, because I've seen, I've been in that class where I've had 15 children sitting in front of me, the very first lesson, the very first school, they've never been taught a letter before in their life. I've done that. And I've said, this is K for cave, you know, and I've drawn the person in the cave and so on. So they've got the curly K and so on. And they can see the the K for cave. Now, what I would do with those kids, preschoolers, three, four, five-year-olds, we, okay, we're going to make the word cat or mop or at, we start with at and am actually, we make the word at. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We might play a little sound games for a few days before, a few lessons. At, what's the first sound? At. Then we pull the spelling down. At. What's the next sound? At. They don't know. I tell them, say, t. And then we pull it down. Now you're learning at, and you're learning to, and you're going to learn how to handwrite them, and you're going to put them together. And you're going to do it on your board, because when I do it, I get better at writing at and reading at, not you. You're going to actually do the multi-sensory process of doing it so it goes into your neural pathways and not me, the teacher, because I'm already pretty good at at. Right. But you don't know that this is and you don't know that this is tough. But if I teach you ah or k or any sound in ice, what does that mean to anybody? It's not meaningful. It's not relevant, especially not to a four or five year old. Right. But at or cat or run or mop, that has meaning and relevancy. Right. And also, you've got complete confidence in it because I can already say cat. Exactly. You got that. Yep. Run. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nora, this has been eye-opening. We will litter the comments, the, the, the show notes with different references of webinars and, and re, uh, so on. So if you're listening, scroll down and Nora, will please supply us with a list of different things that you would recommend people to do and we'll put it in the show notes. So just swipe up on this podcast and you'll see the text appear and then there'll be show notes for you to click on. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. That went by fast. It was kind of long, but it was good. one of our longer ones, but uh, <laughs> it was definitely worth it. And uh, I could talk forever about this, as you probably can tell. I can um, tell. And that's fine. That's great. And um, 
you know, I, I'm a bit, I'm a bit wary of, you know, being part of the um, reading wars and so mm. on. I don't want to get it's involved with the reading wars. So, you know, as a parent, go out, explore, see what the options are. And Educate yourself. Make, make your own d- decision. And as Golly. a teacher as well, of course. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about what I've got from you is as a former teacher... I could see myself doing that mm-hmm. and it's fun with a class, <laughs> you know, and it is very fun. Actually, there's it's yeah. nice to have that joy, you know, yeah. and what we do for teachers, whether you're a one on one teacher, a small group teacher, a whole class teacher, we have made it to take away the stress because the teachers are learning at first. You're at that cognitive, you know, that cognitive load piece for you in the sensory motor level. There's videos where we, te- I'm teaching your class. You're a kindergarten teacher. You turn on a video. I teach that lesson to your class. The first one, the sex one. Where every time you do a new activity, there's about 20 activities now, I believe. You have a video where I'm going to teach a class and several times after that even. And, or you can choose to do it yourself, but it's this teacher, student facing PD where I'm teaching your class, but you're also learning and you're facilitating. So we take that anxiety off of the teacher, poor teachers. Here, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. How do they survive? I don't know how they survive, quite frankly, but we are making their life easier. So you do this and then we gradually release them because that's a great model of teaching. Anybody, whether you're 30 or five, right? We, we show you, we model, we gradually release. So you move to independence of it and accuracy, and then you keep doing it. And that's what we do. Fantastic. And we do it unlike anyone else, which is really pretty cool. And we, you know, it's been a process. It has taken 20 plus years of refinement and will continue to be refined with ways that we find to make teacher's life easier while they're giving the kids the high level of instruction that they need to get to their highest literacy potential. potential. So that's what we do. Oh, one last thing that I would be thinking about if I was listening to this is see the 30, the 3000 pounds training for learning to teach it yourself. How long does that take to, to be trained to teach it? Yeah, well, it's uh, we have a precursor kind of the getting started, which is some theory and background information, assessment stuff, that type of stuff, which takes probably about four to six hours, I would say that part. And then you move right into where you learn an activity as the teacher training, and then you teach it to your kids, or I teach it at first, or, you know, a lot of times one-on-one teachers, they watch my videos. The videos are like continuous PD for the teachers. So you do these activities. Now, if you're a classroom teacher, there's two activities per lesson, and there's 120 lessons. So you teach them two two activities every day. Uh, First grade teacher, there's 100 lessons. Second and third grade teachers, there's 80. If you are teaching remediation, you have three different tracks. Um, They all have 140 activities based on the level and ability, not level, but the age and ability level really of your kids. If you need to start with a kindergartner, you start at this track, you start, you know, that type of thing. So um, they're, they're meant to be the front loading of instruction. And then you use these same skills, concepts, and information with everything you teach. You have science, let's use it there. You got math story problems, let's use the Ebly, our Ebly activities and strategies. So yes, it's very, and it's very comprehensive. So they pay this price. And then each year, because we also have coaching calls every month that are live, and I'm going to be doing one on Tuesday, and it's going to be a case study of a, you know, one of the teachers sent in about their student and we answer their questions and we help them refine because at first when you're learning something you don't really worry about all the nuances you're like let me just figure this out right and then we continue over the year to give them help we have a private facebook page for them we give them i mean 
we're here to serve them and we want them to be successful. So we make sure that that happens. If they follow our recipe, it happens. And so then they can renew. It's only $500 when they renew in years, which is optional. So, Got yeah. you. so you're basically saying over a one year period, mm-hmm. you're, yep. you're doing this and yep. And you're kind of taking one a school year, pretty much. Yeah, a, school a, lot year. Of, a lot of these teachers then end up doing private tutoring in the summer. They do summer school. Right. They do, you know, right. so obviously you can do it then too. Yeah, but you have the materials. You have the cute little. You know, is it? I, I, you know what? What crossed my mind here right, is, isn't that pretty? This is like their little lessons, and it shows you just what. I mean, we give them everything of everything. We just yes. make it easy for them. They don't need any more hard. So sorry, I interrupted. You know, when you started breaking this word down into sounds, it made me start thinking about when I teach adults and children to remember complicated words for biology and physics and so on, like photosynthesis, and maybe there's hypertension and then there's hypotension. And it's easy to flip those around and you just kind of muddle it a bit and you hope for the best. I've got a 50-50 of getting this right. Um, but then when you break down hypertension yeah. and hypotension, and then you turn hyper into, you, you put an image for hyper, which might be, you know, like a spring or something bouncy. And you've got this sort of image of it going up hyper is up and then hypo is maybe something low maybe it's a a a hammock something going low and you draw in a hammock you can then say oh gosh hypertension is when something goes up the pressure goes up and hypotension is when it goes down and you're starting to break it down and you're not just learning how to say it but you're learning what it means the context (laughs) and the meaning of it and the accuracy of it so when someone says back to you and the teacher says are you sure it's hypotension and you're like yeah are are we talking about the blood pressure going down yes we're talking about blood pressure going down are you sure it's hypotension i'm like i'm absolutely sure it's hypertension because i've got the the hammock well, in my brain in, but really what you want to you need that for the vocabulary and meaning very helpful but you look at the word huh i oh there's no er in hypo right so if you're saying hyper and there's no er if you're going with the sounds you say and you're matching them and this is the intention is for reading instruction, right? So, huh, I, yes. and if somebody said hypotension, I'd say, show me the O. I bet there's no O. Well, you can't say it then. So we've first okay. got to go with that word. We, we do that vocabulary instruction, just what you say. We draw a picture. We have a vocabulary graphic organizer where they have the word and they do the syllable and sound lines and, and map the word. They do a picture. They do a little phrase definition. They write a sentence. That's called good vocabulary. I mean, we can't have phonics instruction just over here. Like that's the only thing it is. It's like saying, here's the engine. That's the car. It's but, not the car. Well, I think what, what here is here is this it's principle but... of chopping the word down, chopping a big thing down and breaking it down into comprehensible chunks. Yes. Meaningful it's, it's, and relevant and easy to digest. Yes. Yeah. It's not just happening in the early years. Often I find students, uh, even medical students, et cetera, can blur some of these things together because they've got so much information, but slowing it down and breaking it down to manageable yeah. chunks, they can say it perfectly well. They can read it perfectly well. But this principle of breaking down into not random chunks, but finding the patterns with things mm-hmm. as well is, is beautiful. 
anyway, there's so much more yeah. we could talk about. And I just want to say one more thing, even though we've gone way longer again. Yeah. But multi-syllable, if we're teaching second grade, third grade, fifth grade, 10th grade adults, 80% of our instruction is multi-syllable, three syllables or more, because that's where the breakdown comes a bunch. And we actually do have a lesson that is we do ACT, SAT prep, college prep stuff. We do people getting their their uh, medical degree, their law degree, they want to read faster, they want to spell better. We have this 80 minute lesson that's online. I also did these lessons during COVID, which would be a whole nother podcast. that was pretty amazing, which I'd never done anything like that. But we, I'd have 125 kindergartners from all over the world on at one time. And they flew, they learned to read, they flew. I, it was crazy. So I'm going to, you know, expand on that because it can go directly to the children. So I'm going to want to get some time. I'm going to go there. But all of these things are just it's it's interactive comprehensive it's not like vocabulary is over here and spellings over there and again the phonics you don't have a car without the engine this is necessary that's the phonics piece but the phonics is not the reading the engine is not the car that's important to understand too we need all of these things and we need to integrate it and we also need the science of learning there's a lot with that with the cognitive pieces and all that too fantastic nora thank you very much for coming in and giving yes. us your valuable time thank you so much i appreciate your interest this podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where Dyslexia Productivity Coaching comes in, because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.